Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world, on the interwebs. Yes, that's the internet. Uh, at MichaelDukeshow.com, where you'll find the uh, podcast and the social media links and everything else, as well as links to the Common Sense Core, which is, yes, our cool kids club. It is our fan club. Now, you can be a member of the 6 o'clock club just by showing up every morning from 6 to 7 a.m. The early birds. You guys are all the early birds. You're all members of the 6 o'clock club. But if you want to have a special place, a special place in regards to the show you need to go join the Common Sense Corps, which is uh, your uh, you know your way of helping to support the show for as little as a cup of coffee a day. You can have access to the private Facebook page <clears throat> and more. You can find that link again at MichaelDukeShow.com. Just click on Join the Corps at the top of the page. We're also broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, as well as the interwebs around the world. Thank you for joining us. <clears throat> Tuesday, 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 Tuesday. That's our deep dive day. That's the day that we get to um, jump into it with both feet and start talking about all the things that are important. Today's conversation with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets will include a discussion on the governor's new push for a gas line. Is this the real deal or is this more campaign strategy also cliff, uh, cliff grows plan for the pfd and then uh, we'll get brad's take on the preliminary results of the special primary then in hour two of the program we're going to uh, do a little bit of uh, discussion topics we'll probably finish up on talking about some of the things that brad went over and then uh, and potentially some phone calls too maybe just depending on how i'm feeling and then in hour two, we will talk with Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come in to give us the weekly life coaching lesson and the positivity, the positivity uplift, you know, just kind of the, the good stuff, the good stuff uh, on what we need to talk about. So that's uh, coming up on today's show. Tomorrow, looking like we're going to be talking with Timothy Givens who's candidate for uh, state house in uh, district 32 uh, 32 32 or 35 32 uh, I don't Timothy Gibbons <laughs> who's gonna be I I can I hate that 32 I was right 32 uh he's gonna be joining us uh in our one Eskimo libertarian in our two um or we might strike that and reverse it, it they're gonna be with us tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, we're still hoping for Mike Shower and potentially Sarah Palin. On Friday, Robbie Sove, 
uh, from uh, Reason Magazine. Fingers crossed that that all works out. Waiting on confirmation from Reason right now on that one. So, a full week of guests lined up for uh, for the program today, which always makes it better when it's more than just me. Uh, because, you know, I'm just a guy in a room talking to you. These people, they've got their they, they're experts in whatever they're talking about. Uh, all right, so this morning, let's start off with some headlines, shall we? I think we should do... I need some. He- I don't have the headlines. I used to have a headlines thing, um, which, which is I was just. I don't know what I did with it. I did something with it, but uh, I, it bugs me now. What did I now? You know, it's it's one of those things where I can't. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember everything. Um, what did I? Uh, what did I do with that? Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, anyway, so we're gonna hit some headlines. And we'll see what uh, you guys have to say this morning on pretty much uh, everything. couple ways to reach us on the program, by the way. If you would like to participate uh, on the show and talk, we would love to hear from you. We would absolutely love to hear what you guys have to say. All you have to do is uh, drop us an email. Email address is me at michaeldukeshow.com, M-E at michaeldukes.com show.com just uh reach on out and uh uh, drop us an email there you can also join us in the chat room the chat room is available every morning on facebook at facebook.com slash michael duke show slash live so there you go headlines you um um what what do we got what do we got going on interesting note on the special election, um, I had heard that there was an inordinate amount of um, rejections uh, on the special primary uh, ballot forms, uh, and and our discussion with Doctor Fred. Oh man, I've already forgotten Doctor Fred's uh, uh, Fred Van Bennecombe. There we go, Fred uh, Doctor Fred Van Bennecombe. With the Great Brook Institute, remember when he came on and talked to us about ranked choice voting, and how um, and how the uh, uh, you know how the rejection rate on that was extraordinarily high. Well, it turns out that yeah, that might be the case. Uh, Must Read Alaska's got a piece. They've been doing a lot of analysis on uh, on this kind of stuff. And first and foremost, let me just say thank you to all the different places that I pull this information from because. I mean, I work every. I'm not complaining now, but I work every day. I got a, you know, I got another job. I got things that I got to do, and um, after 12 or 14 hours, I'm pretty much done for the day. I don't have a lot of time to go out and crunch numbers and do different things. So, I really appreciate the different. Even though I rag on some of the news outlets and things like that, they do provide us with at least some good information to toss around amongst ourselves. Uh, and I appreciate Suzanne Downing, who's been very good at working through some of these things. As well, so big thank you to everybody that's involved in that, including uh, Suzanne Downing, um, and she has pulled back the curtain on some of these things with uh, ballot measure number two, uh, the what she calls the Alaska nightmare election scenario. Oh, oh, um, House District thirty-eight. This is the rejection um, rates 
for ballots in some of these different areas. House District 38, which is Bethel, had 17.99% of all the ballots that were turned in rejected, almost 18%. In Nome, District 39, 15.38% of the ballots that were rejected. In District 40, Kotzebue and Uktavik, 12.33% of the ballots rejected. In Bristol Bay and the Aleutians, District 37, 12.19% of the ballots were rejected. I mean, it just seems extraordinary. District 19, the House District in Anchorage and Mountain View, 9.33% of all ballots rejected. Oof. Oof. Um, And finally, the district with the least percentage of rejected ballots, the Fairbanks Goldstream House District 4 which is the university area in Fairbanks, less than 1% of the ballots rejected in that district. They apparently get it, I guess, get it. The state average in this election for a rejected ballot is a new record. The average is 3.56%, which uh, that seems, you know, pretty low, but 17.99% of rejected in Bethel. That just seems that seems wrong, and I got a question. I mean, is there a curing? Is there a way to cure this? I I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um. All right. So that's the uh, that's the big thing. Um. Somebody in the chat room is asking about the uh, Dunleavy vetoes. If you've already covered what Dunleavy vetoed, I missed it. Uh, it is um, no. There's been no vetoes as of yet because the the um, the final budget has yet to be transmitted to the governor. Now they have a they have a working up. They have a mock up of what they're going to veto. Uh, I have been assured by somebody in the administration. They reached out to me after we said a few things that apparently raised a little bit of ire. Uh, we made some, we made some comments about Jesus. I hope the governor has not forgotten about all this and everything else. And um, the uh, and the response that I got was, "Hey, regarding your question on the budget, anyway, they don't need them to transmit the thing to analyze it." They said, "This is from the administration, my source in the administration." They said, "The word on the street is that it will be transmitted on June the seventeenth, and they'll probably have a press conference that day." Basically, they just got to make all the cuts that they have on their mock-up of the budget goes right onto the actual budget, and then he produced. So we haven't seen the vetoes yet, but they are apparently coming. So there you go. Uh, And Willie asks in the chat room, who's rejecting him, the Bethel votes? Was it the Bethel city clerk? No, I'm assuming it's the division of elections. Since they all go to the division of elections, they don't go to the city clerk. They are mailed, in fact, to the division. So the division is the one who is rejecting those votes. So, interesting thought. I don't know how much time we're going to have to get into this because we're running out of time here this morning already for this segment, but apparently Lisa Murkowski, the gift that just keeps on giving, uh, Lisa Murkowski uh, was recorded in an interview, kind of an on-the-spot, man-on-the-street thing with David Hogg, you know, David Hogg, uh, the kid from uh, from Park, uh, from Stoneman, Marjorie Douglas Stoneman, Douglas High School, uh, the guy who's the new, the anti-gun activist, you know, guy who's going to make his living, living off the shooting. Anyway, uh, they were some kind of, at some kind of uh, um, 
air, I don't know, meeting, public gathering, whatever. So he was asking her questions. Murkowski is on the recording saying a few things that have raised some eyebrows for gun. I mean, I don't know why this is so surprising that Murkowski would be on this thing. Uh, Murkowski, while she is not one of the 10 senators who have not, I don't know if you heard about this, 10 Republicans have now forged an agreement with the Democrats uh, on Second Amendment and gun control legislation. We haven't heard the full details yet. I'll have more for you on this probably tomorrow. We'll definitely be talking about it on Friday. And while she wasn't one of these 10 people, she is on tape talking about gun control with David Hogg. And she says to Hogg, uh, you're looking for some initial steps. I totally get that. And I think that in Congress, we owe some steps, okay? We've got some work to do. And she described how a number of Alaskans were on their way to the nation's capital to engage. I don't know who who is going to the nation's capital to engage on gun control. I don't know. Um, She goes on to say that, yes, it's complicated, but we can't say it's so complicated that we can't do it. It's not too hard. Um, She... She obviously is making, you know, talking to various uh, people. She's, you know, she's a bit of a chameleon. She talks to different groups in different ways, depending on who the audience is. But again, this is her signaling that we've still got work to do. We still got to bring gun control on, which she knows she's got to tiptoe around because otherwise, uh, you know, that could be the one thing that really puts the boots to her. I don't know. Kelly Shabaka immediately came out and said, uh, "We don't di- we don't dilly dally with our Second Amendment rights. We don't do that." She says, "Bad enough that Mitch McConnell blessed these negotiations with these ten Republicans," and she said, "No, no, leftists are coming after our guns, and after more than twenty years, Lisa Murkowski is pledging to help them." I guess just another reason to vote for Shabaka or Sean Thorne or anybody but Murkowski at that point. All right, we're coming up next. We got more happening. Brad Keithley, directly ahead, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes on Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, let's let's get it on. Let's uh, let's launch us some uh, some Zoom meetings here, shall we? And uh, and get Brad Keithley uh, involved involved with the situation. All right. So we're queued up now to talk to Brad. All right. So that's uh, that's ready to go. And we're connecting. Um, and join with computer audio. I would love to join with computer audio. I would I would really love that. Uh, okay. Hey, look at that. Brad Keithley is uh, in the chat. Why well, he's in the storage room. What are you doing? <laughs> It's 90 degrees out on the porch today, Michael. I'm oh, in the air man. conditioning. I figured you'd be like out there basking in the sun, but you just didn't want to melt, I guess, huh? Well, you know, sweating is not a good look for uh, for radio. Hey, that's, I sweat all the time. That's, uh, you know, it makes you more manly. That's what they say. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but that's what goes on. Uh, all right. You about ready to jump into this? I am. Okay. 
Um, let me, uh, I forgot to pull this up. Let me pull up something real quick to make sure that I got everything on the same wavelength. There we go. That's what I wanted right there. All right, Brad, we're going to be to you here in just a second. Let me get caught up uh, on some of the chitty, the chitty chat. Almost said something else. It was the, chi- the chitty chat. The chitty chat in the chat room. Uh, let me go over there and see what you guys are saying this morning. Uh, Jason said, heard Trump is coming to Alaska July the 9th to stump for Palin and Kelly. Oh, good for him. Um, and again, I, I don't know. Does that matter to some people? Apparently it does. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Sherry's over on YouTube as well as Ken and Jason and Nick uh, all, all on YouTube this morning. Uh, not that I don't appreciate you Facebook users, but I remember I'm trying to build up my YouTube subscription. I got 35, 3,600 people who like and follow the show on Facebook, and I can't get a 1,000 of them to go over to YouTube to, to sign up and subscribe. I mean, I'm trying here. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to multi-channel the whole thing out. But anyway, um, I'm sure every one of you, um, 46 people who are in the chat room right now, have already gone over to YouTube and and subscribed and rang the bell there, right? I'm sure you have. Uh, all right, let me go down here. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, my dad's in the chat room. Hi, Dad. Um, Brian, the telegraph thing, that would freaking people out. The most of us would get it. I'm not sure what Brian was talking about there. Uh, Willie says, Lyman Hoffman and his wife caught trying to move back into Bethel yesterday. They must be getting, this is after five candidate questions or, or que- uh, candidate f- complaints were filed uh, for his uh, candidacy. For the fact that he doesn't live in Bethel, and it's like the worst kept secret in the world, uh, but he tried to sneak back into Bethel yesterday, says Willie. We'll see what we'll see what happens there. Um, I can't wait to see Murky replaced. I can only hope at this point. Uh, YouTube, YouTube Live, um, Kelly for Alaska. You're fired, Murky Swamp Rat. I can't wait. All right. Going to be a bad day. Coffee pot not working. Every day above ground's a good day, Rick. Just want to tell you that. Every day on this side of the grass is is a plus. No matter how, even bad coffee, even no coffee. I know that that's almost sacrilegious, but even no coffee is still pretty good. Um, all right. Um, I guess that's it. I could split screen and watch both of them with the sound mute on. This allows me to see both chats, says Corky. It is handy. I have a little widget that allows me to see the chats from everything in one window, which is pretty damn handy. Um, happy 247th birthday to the U S army says Michael on YouTube. Hoo ah. All right. To which I say, Ooh, rah, semper fi. All right. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> you know, leather necks and jar heads. What are you going to do? Uh, all right. We've got uh, about 40 seconds out. We're going to rejoin. Brad is up. He's ready to go. Looking cool as a cucumber in his air conditioning, ready to do his thing. That's right. Doing his happy dance. Um, Anthony's eating some bacon that I made smoked with Cajun spice, dry rub, pork belly, and why I don't have any of that. I don't know. It's insulting to me for you to tell me all about that. Uh, All right. Let's get to it. 20 seconds now. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Love me, love me, do all that kind of stuff. Let's uh, get back to it. Don't forget to share and like this program on Facebook as well. Let's get more people involved in the conversation. Let's do it. Here we go. Oh, man, 
I don't know what happened, but that slowed the music way down. It was weird. Hey, how are you? Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, and it is the Tuesday edition, which means it's time to jump into it with our friend uh, Brad Keithley. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the director and founder of that organization, which is dedicated to, you guessed it, creating, uh, supporting, and delivering sustainable budgets to the state of Alaska. He joins us this morning uh, to talk right now. Good morning, Brad. Morning, Michael. How are you doing today? You know, again, I was saying during the break, any day above ground is a good day, and I feel pretty good because I'm on this side of the grass. That's the important part. So it's all good. Um, not as good as you in the 90-degree heat and all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad. To, <laughs> I feel good because I'm in the air conditioning. It's yeah, exactly. Out there on you, the can, you know what? It's just, I'm just one of those guys where you can keep the heat. I mean, I like 75. That's nice. You start getting into 80 and 90, and I'm just like, I can't get more naked than naked. I mean, if it's 50 degrees, <laughs> I can put a sweater on. You know, I'll take the cold over the hot any day. At least I can bundle up. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the weekly top three. Uh, we got three big issues today. Uh, we're going to start off with the governor's new push for a gas line. Um, and uh, you're wondering, is this uh, real or is it a political ploy? This is shades of Bill Walker all over it at some point. But uh, what say you? Well, speaking of Bill Walker, he... Uh he couldn't resist the opportunity to have a op-ed in the ADN over the weekend on the on the subject as well. Oh, sure. Uh, the thing the thing that triggered me is an article in the ADN that Nat Hurt, Hertz wrote says, "As energy markets spiral up, a gas pipeline could be closer than ever." Alaska politicians say this is about the you know fiftieth time that the gas pipeline has been closer than ever. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I always remember and, that. And it, I always remember that uh, Jim Whitaker photo. Uh, former mayor of Fairbanks, who had a framed copy of the 1953, it was either the Fairbanks Daily News Miner or the Anchorage Daily News. It was a big full page thing that says gas line coming in like a year or two years or whatever. And it was fr- It was 1953. It was just, you know, yeah, okay, gotcha. Just around the corner. Yeah. Well, it's it's the it's the never ending uh, quest for a for a gas pipeline. This this article focuses on a, a, a trade trip that the governor took to Japan. Uh, to reach out to Japanese, both the Japanese government and uh, Japanese uh, uh, distributors, Japanese gas companies, to establish relate, establish contacts and, and try to push the gas line uh, along. And it's frankly, it's not a bad time to put uh, the gas line to, to 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 remind everybody that Alaska has gas and and that there is a project that uh, that is is setting over here uh, potentially to to come on board. As a result of the Ukraine uh, uh, war, as a result of Europe uh, trying to uh, move out of Russian gas, and with Russian gas uh, redeploying uh, uh, possibly to China, um, and with U.S. gas, U.S. Gulf Coast gas, which frankly was built on the backs of, of, of exports to Asia, exports to China, with U.S. gas, Gulf Coast gas redeploying to Europe to sort of fill the gap that uh, uh, that uh, uh, Russia uh, played, the role that Russia played in, in providing gas to Europe. Uh, Asia is sort of the odd man out in all this. I mean, non-China Asia uh, is sort of the odd man out in all this. And it's, it's not a bad time for the governor to, to take the trip and to, uh, and to you know, seek to you know, keep, keep in the forefront of everybody's mind the potential for, a, uh, for an Alaska project. But it's not, I mean, to say that 
the pipeline could be closer than ever, uh, frankly, is, uh, is, is a reach. The economics are still hugely challenged uh, of a gas line. The, the construction costs that uh, as recently as a couple of years ago were estimated at, at below $40 billion are likely escalating again uh, with, uh, with the price of steel and, 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 and inflation in general going up. We're seeing that a lot in the oil industry. Uh, elsewhere, uh, where uh, costs of goods are, are escalating again uh, because of the contraction of the, of the, uh, uh, of the employment, uh, contraction of people uh, focused on the oil industry. We're seeing employment costs uh, uh, escalating. So we're probably talking about uh, a, a project cost that's now well north of, uh, of $40 billion, possibly even approaching uh, $50 billion, possibly a, a, a substantial increase uh, in the cost of the project. And we're talking about challenged economics on the market side also. While current gas prices, LNG prices in Europe and in Asia, because we now have a world market, are, are above $20 uh, and sometimes above $30, uh, an MMBTU. Um, and you know the, the Alaska gas pipeline in the past is, or the LNG project has been penciled out at around uh, sub $8. So while that looks good currently, when you look at the futures market for LNG, um, the Asian market uh, goes back below $8, uh, goes back into the $7 uh, by 2025, about the time that the Alaska project would come online. So it, what, what the market is saying is these things are going to work out. We're going we're gonna to bring on additional LNG supply. We're going to have some contraction of demand uh, uh, in the world. Um, and prices are going are gonna to come back down into, into lower levels. So, so the economics continue to, be, continue to be challenged. To think that because of the reordering of the, of the gas world, because of Europe's pull now on U.S. Gulf Coast supplies, um, and, and, and because of, of the retraction of, 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 of Russian supplies, to think that that is suddenly going to make the Alaska gas pi pi pipeline economic is just going too far. The economics still matter, um, and, and we have to prove that the economics uh, are going to work. There is one other opportunity here, and I think the Dunleavy administration is right for reaching out to try to see if they can, if they can pick up on it. There's an opportunity for strategic players, somebody who's not as concerned about overall uh, market economics, but somebody who's concerned a lot about supply, uh, there's an opportunity for a strategic player to, uh, to come into uh, Alaska. One thing, one thing that there's some doubt about in the lower 48, backing up all of these LNG projects in the lower 48, is whether there's sufficient supply at an economic price to supply all these LNG projects over the long term. We don't have to worry about supply in Alaska. We know where the supply is. We right. know uh, have, have a good handle on how much there is of it. Um, and also we have the advantage, we can probably do a fixed price or, or, a, or, a, or an escalated price, a non-market related price uh, on the supply end. I mean, it's, we, the, the pipeline and the kit is gonna be a fairly fixed cost once you install it. It's gonna be a high cost, but a fairly fixed cost. Once you install it, the gas is otherwise stranded. It's not being pulled on by other markets. Uh, and so that is susceptible to a long-term, fairly fixed price uh, contract. So we can offer a secure, a secure supply at a relatively stable price. And some 
some purchasers are going to find that attractive. Right. Uh, and, and, and matching that strategic advantage that we, and we're also on the Pacific Ocean, which is an advantage. We're on the other side of the, of the Pan- Panama Canal from the U.S. Gulf Coast projects. So that matching, matching those strategic advantages with a market uh, is an opportunity. I, I think it's a stretch to say that uh, it, we're farther along, closer than we've ever been before, but we're not, we're not at, at ground zero. We have, we have certain advantages that we, that we need to play up. Well, so let's rank it then. This, uh, this discussion, there are some good things, as you said, but if you were ranking it uh, you know, on a percentile rate, is this uh, 50, 60% just kind of campaign rhetoric, hyperbole, uh, with a few functional factors of truth in there? Or what, what do you say? Yeah, I'd say it's mostly campaign hyperbole. It's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't attribute the timing of this entirely to campaign hyperbole. As I say, the Ukrainian war has, has changed the dynamic in the gas market in a way that is, is important to understand and important to, uh, to reach out and connect with sort of the new players. Japan had sort of become less important as the, as the significance of China in the LNG market grew, but with Russian gas likely redeploying to China, China in terms of Western supply is, is, is of decreasing importance. Japan is, is, back on, is back on the ascendancy. So reaching out to Japan I think I think is a is a timely move. It happens to coincide with the campaign, but but the governor should not overplay his hand, and and people should not have huge expectations uh, arising out of this. You know, Walk, Walker's op-ed over the weekend sort of said, "Hey, I was there first. I was the first thinking about this. I, you know, if you reelect me, I'm going to yeah, of course, put me back in office. I'm going to I'm going to follow through on it." Yes, yes. He, this campaign should not turn on on who people think is going to deliver a gas pipeline. That's not that's not where this is. It's it's in a situation where the market is changing. Alaska has some has some opportunities. Alaska has some advantages that we need to that we need to push. Um, and 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 a and a responsible governor should be among those who are pushing it. Um, but we don't need somebody, we don't need Walker or we don't need somebody coming around saying, oh, and, and, and we need to get behind it and subsidize it. We need to build it because, you know, it's going to be economic and all that sort of stuff. It's not, it, it is, we, we need to, what we need to do is find a strategic player who values the, 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 the fact the gas is there and values the potential for a relatively fixed price uh, contract and focus in on finding that strategic player and let them lead the project not us but let them right uh, lead the project because if they become invested in it if they invest their money in it yeah uh, then then they're going to develop it lots of pitfalls to the government-led project we've seen it it hasn't worked it's uh it's a hot mess and we don't need to be getting in the middle of that right now but encouraging it is something completely different um all right let's move on to number two which is uh cliff grow uh candidate uh perennial pfd smasher uh, he's got a plan. He's put it up. T- give me the give me the your take on it here. Well, there's a op-ed. Cliff wrote an op-ed in uh, in the ADN over the weekend entitled "My Plan to Grow G R O H," a play on his name, uh, the permanent fund uh, and dividend. And he outlines a fiscal plan that I think is worth talking about. It it in a in a very broad scope. Uh, it's within the it's within the parameters of what the 
uh, legislative working group uh, uh, talked about. It's got some of the same elements of that. I think it, I think it, it falls short of meeting the, the, the goals of the legislative uh, working group uh, plan. But it's got, it's got some, some of the right, um, it talks about some of the right pieces. It talks about preserving the PFD. It talks about a spending cap. His, his plan, his op-ed talks about a spending cap, talks about oil taxes, and he talks about uh, individual taxes. But when you follow through and sort of pick on those individual parts, uh, it leaves something, uh, leaves something to be desired. And let's get into, we've got about three minutes here, so let's get into some of the specifics. We'll break it down and I'll stop you when we get to the break here. But let's, uh, you know, let's start at the top here. What, you know, sure. what does he get right? What does he get wrong specifically? Well, he talks about the P, he talks about a PFD, preserving the PFD. And I think that's, I think that's. We've heard that what before. He we've heard about. that before, by the uh-huh. way, the whole preserving the PFD pitch. We've heard that from everybody from Walker on down. So or do you yep. think it means what do you, yeah. what, what do you think it means or? What, what he doesn't talk about is, is, uh, is preserving a, a given PFD. I mean, within the confines of the, of the words he uses, you could have everything from a, a full statutory PFD to a 2575 PFD, what the, what the House tried to, tried to propose uh, and what uh, Senator Stedman tried to propose uh, last legislative session. What the working group talked about was POMB 5050. They talked about the governor's proposal of POMB 5050, an even split of the earnings stream between the PFD uh, and uh, and government, it's it's less, frankly, than le- a lower PFD than what uh, than what the current statute provides. But it is a it is a landing spot that makes some sense. I've said it. I've said at one point that I think it's what Governor Hammond actually originally uh, intended. Um, but Cliff doesn't Cliff doesn't land on a P- on a POMB fifty fifty. He doesn't land on any particular size PFD. It's just sort of, yeah, we ought to continue to have a PFD, and that's important. Um, and I, you know, acknowledging that is is useful. But I think I think candidates who really, you know, candidates who are worth following, candidates who are worth uh, uh, supporting, are those who are going to step up to what the legislative working group outlined of a of a POMB fifty fifty PFD. Right. Uh, you mentioned he did talk about oil taxes as well, which is part of the. Uh... Uh, part of the uh, discussion for the fiscal policy working group, something that you've taken a little heat over because you're a former oil and gas attorney. So everybody automatically assumes that you must be against anything new, but you've said, no, there is definitely a place there's, you know, two or three or $400 million still available on the table that would not make it unattractive. And it should be something that's uh, at least explored and talked about. And Cliff acknowledges that uh, in the piece as part of his plan. Again, he doesn't talk about any particular amount or any particular structure, but talks about a, about a contribution of, of, of oil taxes. The governor uh, in the in the Department of Revenue's fiscal model, the governor has outlined some steps you could take to uh, to update uh, the oil taxes. And, and as I've talked about in the past, uh, with the with the enactment of the two hundred or the twenty seventeen uh, tax act, corporate tax act, corporate taxes uh, were reduced. We didn't adjust the Alaska tax system to to recognize the reduction in federal income taxes. So there are there are adjustments that can and should be made uh, to the oil tax structure. Again, Cliff doesn't talk about any particulars, but at least he keep, but but at least he opens uh, opens the topic. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to be back with more here in just a moment as we continue to talk with him, talking about number two, the opinion piece from Chris uh, uh, Cliff Grow. 
uh, in the ADN. And does it make sense? Does it not? Does it follow what the fiscal policy working group is uh, laid out in their plan? We'll continue with that in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, we're in the break right now. Brad Keithley is our guest as we continue to go over all the talking points of uh, all the things. I mean, Brad, at some point, I want to go back to uh, the gas line discussion simply because, I mean, we've got a <laughs> we've got a a shut in gas supply in this state, like a trillion cubic feet of gas. And I mean, that is one of the biggest gas reserves in the world. And it just seems like we're just sitting on it like, well, one day we'll need it. I mean, when the citizens of Alaska are struggling, they're talking about already having record fuel oil prices come this fall and everything else. And I mean, again, the Constitution calls that the resources of the state should be, uh, you know, uh, uh, developed for the maximum benefit of the citizens and the residents. And some of the legislature has just basically defined that as making as much money for the state government as possible instead of providing them with cheap. I mean, the difference when I moved down to the South Central, a personal story. When I moved down to the South Central area, I literally in the first eight months alone saved $5,000 just in utilities, maybe even a little bit more than that. And the first year, I guarantee you, I saved $7,000 plus on utilities just, I mean, the heating and the electricity alone were dramatically different. The poor people in Fairbanks, I don't even, I don't even know what to say to these people, uh, because you know, if you start talking about having to pay six, seven dollars a gallon for heating oil, I mean, who's got seven grand just laying around to fill a thousand gallon fuel tank that may get you through the winter, may not? It's insane. Well, Michael, the the. The LNG plant is not the solution to that. I mean, the, the, the LNG project is not the solution to all that. If, if we build the LNG project because we want to supply South Central and Fairbanks with gas, the, the unit cost is going to far exceed your $5,000 savings. It's probably going to double or triple uh, the, the price uh, by well, the no, time we build all of the Yeah, we need it for export. We need it for, yeah, we need it for export, but there can always be, you know, takeoffs from the major export line. I mean, it's eventually going to have to happen. We're eventually going to have to draw that gas off the slope uh, and and have the opportunity again to feed some of these other communities at takeoff points. But, I mean, shouldn't that eventually be something that, you know, we're working towards? Well, I think the, I think everybody has worked. Toward, I mean, they've tried to make the LNG project work. For a long time, for a long time, the solution was to build the gas line to the lower 48, right? And, and to have takeoff points on the gas line that went through that would go through Canada and go down and supply the lower 48. But shale gas, the shale revolution uh, in the uh, in the mid 2000s, late 2000s, early 20 teens uh, uh, destroyed that. I mean, it, it 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 provided tons of gas down in the lower 48. And so the, the market for Alaska gas, that market for Alaska gas went away. We shifted and started focusing on LNG, but there are economic realities related to LNG as well. Yes. The North Slope gas supply is huge. Uh, when BP still owned it, it was the largest undeveloped resource in uh, in BP's worldwide uh, portfolio. But it has to be economic to, to deliver to markets. And, and what we found is there are other gas supplies globally 
uh, including in the U.S. Gulf Coast, that can beat it uh, on price, given the uh, given the amount of uh, of kit we have to build to to bring it down to the lower forty eight. The infrastructure, bring it down to, right? Bring it down to to, to water, tidewater in uh, in Alaska. So, it's I mean. It has to be economic. It has to be economic on the world market in order to justify building the kit. Yes, there are advantages to Alaska, to Fairbanks, and to Anchorage. Uh, uh, if we if we bring it down, we can't bring it. We can't afford to bring it down solely for that. Frankly, you know, when when we talk about the Cook Inlet running short of gas, the solution to that, if in fact the Cook Inlet is running short of gas, the solution to that is going to be LNG imports uh, into the Cook Inlet uh, to the extent we're going to continue to have uh, needs for uh, for natural gas. Uh, it's not economic to build that, to build a line down from the lower 48 just to meet Alaska markets. And to get it into international markets, it has to meet economics. As I say, the one opportunity out there is a strategic player, not necessarily looking for the cheapest gas, but looking for a secure gas source that can be delivered at a relatively fixed price um, uh, over the life, not tied to other markets, not tied to other LNG prices, a strategic player looking for that. And I think, you know, I, th I think there is a potential that we find a strategic player like that. And I think the governor, the last governor, this governor, every governor is right uh, to go forward and, uh, and, and try to, you know, find that, find that matchup. But until we find that matchup, we shouldn't be thinking that, you know, we just got to do whatever it takes to bring that gas supply down. Um, should we have built the gas pipeline? Uh, I only have about 40 seconds here, but should we have built the gas pipeline 30 years ago? Should we have just bitten the bullet and done it or, uh, you know, in hindsight? Well, yeah, hindsight's 2020. Um, it, it, it probably wouldn't have been an economic, pro well, it wouldn't have been an economic project if built at that time. It would have turned out, you know, 30 years ago, it would have turned out maybe two thirds the way through its life, it would have become economic, but we would have had, Whoever built it would have had substantial losses yeah, gotta, uh, during, during, the, during the first part. All right, Brad Keithley, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. All right, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're working through the weekly top three. We were halfway through number two, Cliff Grow's PFD plan. Uh, does it match up to the fiscal policy working group? We had already been through the oil taxation issue and the, and the question of uh, fixing a PFD. Uh, what else is good versus bad in uh, this opinion piece, Brad? Well, I think one thing that surprised people um, surprises people about about Cliff mentioning it. Uh, Cliff is uh, is is widely viewed viewed as more to the left uh, than uh, than maybe the average uh, Alaskan. Certainly, the average Alaskan uh, listening to this program. Um, I think one thing that surprises Cliff mentions in the in the uh, piece uh, a spending cap, um, and I think part of that is a realistic recognition on his part. Uh, that in order to get support for various other pieces uh, of the plan, that there that a spending cap needs to be part of that. But I think that's a I think that's a good sign uh, that even somebody like Cliff is is talking about a spending cap. Certainly, a spending cap was part of spending cap and spending reductions were part of the fiscal policy working group proposal. Um, and I think Cliff uh, mentioning that now he doesn't talk about 
the specifics of a spending cap. He doesn't talk about, you know, a revenue based versus a spending based. He doesn't talk about inflation versus other approaches to a spending cap. Um, so he doesn't he doesn't fill in the blanks of, of what kind of spending cap he has in mind. But I think the mere mention of a spending cap is something that uh, that's a positive uh, coming out of uh, coming out of uh, that side of the aisle. The final thing uh, that he includes in there, and the thing he is most specific about, uh, is uh, taxes, uh, individual taxes. Right. Um, and it's it's interesting. Uh, he doesn't establish a baseline for a PFD. He doesn't talk about what percent of PFD or what size of PFD he's talking about. He doesn't talk about the specifics of a spending cap. He doesn't talk about specifics of an oil tax, but he does talk about the specifics of what he has in mind for uh, for income taxes. And it's uh and and it's on people uh, uh, earning two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more. It's sort of like the Biden proposal, right? That that Biden said, you know, we're going to increase taxes on people earning four hundred thousand uh, dollars or more. Cliff's version of that is we're going to do taxes on people earning two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more. And I, I I did some analysis of that. Basically, he's talking about the top five percent. When you go to the IRS data, the most recent IRS data that's out there, and you break it down by for Alaska, uh, you break it down by income bracket, uh, that matches 250,000 and above uh, is about uh, the top 5%. And to raise 500 million uh, from the top 5%, uh, which is usually the standard that, well, it's the standard that ICER, that, that ITEP used in their 2017 study, what are, what's the cost or what's the impact of $500 million increments? And to raise $500 million from the top 5%, would require a tax rate, flat tax rate, or an average tax rate of about seven percent. Um, so it's it's a very top end oriented, right? Um, top end oriented approach. And the and the interesting thing about it would be you would assuming he's talking about POMV fifty fifty or something that has some change in the current PFD statute. You would talking you would talk about you would be talking about taking money from the from the other eighty percent, the the bottom eighty percent. Through PFD cuts, you'd be talking about taking money from the top five percent through this uh, income tax, and then, but but people between the top twenty percent and the top five percent, that fifteen percent bracket, would wouldn't get hit with hardly anything. I mean, they, PFD cuts wouldn't affect them much. They wouldn't be reached by the income tax. So you'd have this donut hole that sits uh, sits between those two brackets that would uh, that would largely avoid uh, uh, contributing to the state. I think the I think the, the 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 problem with that approach, the problem with the let's tax everybody two hundred fifty thousand dollars and above. I think the problem with that approach is it's not broad based. I mean, remember that when the when the uh, uh, when the legislative working group talked about taxes, they talked about broad based taxes, and broad based means it reaches a lot of people so that there's a big divisor and so that the impact on any one individual or any one group. Uh, is relatively small because you're spreading it out among right. a huge uh, a huge group. When you focus it on the two hundred fifty thousand dollars and above, that's not a that's not a broad based tax. That's a that's a narrowly targeted tax, just like the PFD tax. PFD cuts are narrowly it just right. It just uh, cuts targeted. on the other side of the spectrum. It cuts on the opposite side of the spectrum. I think the fiscal policy working group talked about a two and a half two two and a half percent statewide sales tax. Actually, they talked about two different numbers, but I think it was two and a half to four or something like that, wasn't it? Well, that's what Mike Shower talked about. Uh, yeah. the, the the fiscal policy working group wasn't as specific uh, on that as a shower uh, shower has been. And as we've talked about on the program, uh, 
sales taxes have their own problems. I mean, they're regressive, regressive right? Not, not, not to the same extent as PFD cuts, but they're right. They're nonetheless regressive and shove, shove the burden down to middle and lower income Alaska families. I, I think the net on net cliffs approach cliffs approach is a step forward. Cliffs uh, uh, op-ed is a step forward because it puts down on paper something that, that few candidates are doing, which is a plan, a thought process right. for how we address the fiscal policy fiscal policy going forward. I think it's a good step forward because it touches the base of, uh, of, of the various things that the fiscal policy working group does. I think where it, where it falls short is it doesn't have the specifics. It doesn't establish the baseline for, a PF, for what he means by a PFD, doesn't establish the baseline for oil taxes, doesn't establish the, the baseline for a spending for a spending cap and establishes too narrow a baseline for uh, broad-based taxes, I think, so, to be to be the plan. So you want to see a more specificity in this, uh, uh, specifically on all those other options as well, and a more broad-based plan, uh, like your proposed right. flat tax that you've talked about in the past. Okay. Uh, so that gives us an idea. Let's move on to number three. Number three is your take on the special primary. we got about three minutes here, three and a half minutes. So uh, what's your take on the preliminary results from the special primary? Well, I think uh, I think everybody's going to have their own individual take. We have to remember that only about fifty percent of the votes have been counted. Uh, evidently, we're having a problem with uh, with uh, uh, uncounted ballots or or, or uh, unallowed ballots uh, out west uh, in the in the bush. The rejected the uh, twenty uh, nineteen eighteen percent of rejected ballots in the bush. Yeah, right. Um, I think I think it, it, I think the too soon to tell theme is a uh, is appropriate here. And even even once we get the final four uh, out of this primary, I think the too soon to tell theme is still going to be appropriate. I mean, one thing that's going on with these undercounted with these with these ballots rejected in the bush, I think Tara Sweeney's vote count is going to be low, uh, lower than it otherwise would be uh, if we if we had those bush ballots uh, uh, counted. So I think even if she doesn't make the final four, I think she's going to have a good basis to say. We're going to continue on to the next primary uh, in August, the <laughs> primary for the for the full term of the seat, uh, and we're going to keep campaigning. So I, we may have narrowed it down to the top five. We may have narrowed it down maybe to the top six, uh, depending upon if somebody wants to continue on after that. But I don't think we I don't think I think we're far away from seeing the end game of how this is going to play out. And frankly, I think the fact that we're having so many rejected ballots this time, I think. Uh, because part, in part because of mail-in voting, uh, I think I think we're going to see potentially see different results in August when we do this by going when we do it regularly by going to the the polling uh, the polling place. So I, I I don't think this special primary is is solving the issue of who's going to be uh, who's on who's going to ultimately emerge from. Uh, uh, from this election cycle on, the, on on who takes the seat uh, for the full term. It's going to be interesting to see who continues ahead, even if they don't make it into the top four or five into the next primary. And of course, that's going to be even confusing in and of itself because you'll have the regular special election on the same day as the regular primary, apparently on the same ballot, according to Fenumiai. Uh It's going to be a hot mess is what I'm calling it. I'm going to trademark that hot mess. Uh, and uh, it's going to be bad. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board and joining us. As always, we appreciate you being part of it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we are coming up on the break. we got more coming up. Hour two dead ahead. We'll have some phone calls and maybe some discussions on some of the things that Brad and I discussed. Then Chris Story. It's the Michael Duke Show. 
Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be kind. Love one another. Back with more. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm watching some of these races. I will say that it was kind of nice to see, Brad, that there was, this was... Uh, if you had any question about the business-as-usual crowd, there was some serious repudiation, in my mind, uh, on some of the candidates. Specifically, uh, I'm talking about um, uh, Josh Revac and John Coghill, both of whom had a... Well, it's an abysmal showing for somebody with such, you know, people who have got, you know, name recognition and incumbency and everything else. I mean, these are people who are you know, prototypical of the smaller PFD, big government. It seems like that they were, I mean, to me, it was a repudiation. When you only get 2% of the vote, that pretty much says something for you right there. Yeah, and Adam, add, uh, Adam Wool to that. I mean, yeah. Adam thought uh, he had a base in Fairbanks. Uh, that was going to give him, uh, you know, a, a fairly huge vote count to, to make it to the to the final four, and he falls in the same category. I think I think of those three, Coghill had the most at two point some odd percent. Right, Josh was Josh right and behind Adam him. Were down in the yeah. one point some odd, uh, one point some odd percent. All three of them, uh, you know, PFD cutters uh, from their legislative days. So, I, yeah, I, I I I take some encouragement of that. I think uh, you know the fact that former Governor Palin is leading. Uh, Leading the, the the vote count right now is a is a is to some degree a repudiation of the establishment uh, Republicans who seem to have lined up behind uh, Nick Begich. Um, Al Gross is a is a repudiation of the of the Democrats. Uh, Mary Paltola is a is a repudiation of a, of also the Democrat the named Democrat candidate Chris Constant. Uh, yeah, I, I, Alaska is showing its traditional. Uh, independence uh, in that regard, but right. It's, it, you're right. It's got to be crushing for you know Reback, who gave up his seat in the uh, in the legislature, uh, and for Coghill, who thought you know that uh, his loss to uh, Rob Myers was a fluke, and that you know all he had to do was get out there again, and he'd be restored. It's got to be crushing for them. Well, it was interesting because especially Reback. I mean, he just kind of like he vaporized like two weeks, three weeks before the uh, actual, I mean, he made the announcement that he was the named successor to Don Young. Don Young's widow came out and said the same thing. And I think he expected some kind of bump from that, but then nothing, nothing. And he just kind of disappeared. Yeah. There's never been a, it's never struck me that there's a there, there with Josh Reback. I mean, he was, he was, uh, uh, he signed the, you know, the PFD pledge. He was going to support the PFD. Then Kathy Giesel got a hold of him, and you know, he he became a PFD cutter and questioned why we have PFDs. And it, there was there was never. I mean, he has an outstanding military record. Uh, you can't you can't argue right. with that. But there was just never a there there in terms in terms of policy. And it, um, you know, I, I think I think people sort of caught on to that and you know wondered whether he was the right person to uh, to put up in Congress. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. And again, yeah, I mean, because we heard a lot about that uh, from folks. I mean, we being me, uh, the royal we. Uh, we heard a lot about that from Coghill in that area that, you know, oh, this was just a fluke. I mean, this guy just came out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, it's a, so I said, people really do support me. And blah, blah, and then, I mean, just pile on. I think people are starting to get, um, uh, I think people are starting to understand that it was kind of the business as usual crowd. And, their positions have have uh, been pretty much outed at this point, and they may be radioactive. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the primary between uh, uh, Holland, Roger Holland, and Kathy Geisel. 
That, to me, is going to be an interesting primary. Because the primaries are pretty much useless at this point. There's only one House district that has more than five candidates in it anyway. So these are really just going to be kind of a test poll for what's going to be happening in November. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see if there's a repudiation there as well with Kathy Giesel and if that style, that philosophy in the legislature is actually dead. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree. And, and you know, I... I place a lot of I place a lot of significance on Adam Wool's showing. Also, I mean, Adam styled himself as a as a hard, independent, you know, thinker looking out for Alaskans, looking out for Alaska families, looking out for you know uh, uh, the people who need uh, who, who need government, people who benefit from government, and you know he, he didn't even poll well in Fairbanks, right? Um, right. So. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I think that is a repudiation in, in Adam's case, as well as John's case, as well as uh, Josh's case. And I think it says good things that about, you know, what Alaskans really feel about uh, about these uh, about these PFD cutting uh, uh, candidates. Well, and, I, and you're right. Giesel, Giesel Holland's going to be a great, uh, a great race uh, for that as well. Well, and, and again, I think that you're seeing, again, just a snapshot, I think, of what's going to be coming this fall. I think that people are more and more frustrated with the whole business as usual crowd with the, you know, we cut everything at the expense of the uh, uh, private sector to benefit the public sector. And I think that that comes through. And I think people, I think they're fed up. I think they've had enough of it. I agree with you that the voting for Palin was more a repudiation of the, of the status quo and the business as usual crowd uh, more than anything else. And I think that there's some leeriness with baggage just because of his name and everything else. But um, I think that, you know, overall, uh, I think you're seeing a snapshot of what's coming this November across the country. Yeah, I, we, I just don't think we've seen the full picture yet. I mean, I, I think I think Tara, I think we're going to see a native vote uh, that we haven't a, a cohesion to a native vote that we haven't seen maybe since Murkowski's write in campaign. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's, it's sort of slow moving in the case of Tara. But I think we're going to see her continue to the uh, to the at least to the August primary, continue to try to build up support for uh, for the long term. Um, and I think I think that's going to make a difference uh, as well. So, well, I think the the Peltola Sweeney race, you know, kind of battle there is going to be interesting for sure to see which one captures the hearts and minds of the bush uh, and the native communities for sure. Uh, Brad, we're out of time. Thanks for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got more coming up. Uh, don't go anywhere. Brad Keithley, thank you for being part of the program. Continuing on, The Michael Duke Show continues right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need 
and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh yeah, across the world on the interwebs and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. It is the Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live. Hi and howdy. It's Tuesday. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And a very interesting discussion. Specifically, our final discussion off air was a little bit more expansive on the uh, outcome of the elections. And there's a couple things that I want to talk about there. Um, specifically, uh, the first uh, the first thing I really want to take a, a gander at is when we get down into the, some of the details and the numbers of people who should have done better in the election results based on name recognition and kind of just overall cognizance of who they are uh and that would be uh and that would specifically be people like john coghill josh Rebeck. in the interior it would be adam wool um people who uh should have had a bigger um you know should have had a bigger uh showing in the ultimate results and uh it is uh it's it's definitely interesting when you look at the actual breakdown. Uh, Josh Revac, John Coghill, Adam Wool, um, Coghill only gaining uh, 2.53% of the overall vote, uh, 2,754 votes. Josh Revac only gets 2.42 percentage points, just 120 votes less than Coghill. And then Adam Wool under 2% at 1.72% with 1,865 votes. Again, Adam, um, I think, counting on more of that draw from the interior, having a bigger showing in the interior, and it just didn't material. Now, granted, this is only 108,000 votes. Um, uh, that 108,000 votes is just the tip of the iceberg. 587,000 ballots went out, so only 18,000 have been uh, counted, uh, 18% rather, have been counted so far, 108,000. They're estimating somewhere between 140 and 160,000 ballots should come in based on the um, velocity of, of ballots received right now. If it's upwards of 200,000, then great. Maybe this changes. But again, I look at these names and I think to myself, um, this says something. This says quite a bit overall. Um, about the business-as-usual crowd, the people who have been in front of our faces over the last couple, three, four years, who have been in leadership positions in our legislature and who have justified what they've done uh, for saying, oh, this is for the people and everything else. But we look at this, and um, and I think that it's – I think that this is a snapshot – into what we're going to be seeing and facing in the general election. Now, one of the other races that I'm really going to be watching is the race uh, between Roger Holland, the incumbent, and Kathy Giesel, who Holland defeated quite handily, I might add, in the primary last time around to take that legislative 
seat, the senator's seat there. Uh, now she's coming back for the rematch. But I, I think that, again, I think that this is just a snapshot of what's going to be coming in um, in the uh, in the August primary and then in the November election. Now, the August primary, because of the fact of its jungle primary and rank choice voting, um, the August primary is really much ado about nothing for the how for the legislature for the House and the Senate because there's literally only one seat in the entire one race in the entire legislature that has more than four candidates anyway. So every other seat is all of those people are going to advance to the general. So, but it will be an interesting, you know, uh, 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 an interesting uh, field check on what's going on. You know, stick your finger in the air, see which way the wind is blowing on that. It'll be essentially a poll to see where these things lay out in the end. And uh, that will be interesting. Um Jeannie asked in the chat room, how many voters in Alaska versus the vote count? Well, the 587,174 registered voters is how many voters are actually registered. Now, how many on that voter rolls are dead or have moved out? or That's a whole different question. Some say upwards of 60 to 70,000 of those people are not even here anymore. So that's a, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, a whole nother question. But as of right now, we uh, have seen... Uh, 108,000, almost 109,000 votes be counted out of the 587,000 that were sent out. So, but this is, this is an interesting time, my friends. Um, You know, the old, uh, the old uh, proverb of may you live in interesting times. I think we're, we're there, baby. We are in the interesting times. Um. There's something else that I wanted to talk. Do I have enough time to talk about it? I might. Um, look, <clears throat> I've had some conversations in the past. And in fact, we've had whole shows dedicated to this in the past. But I have been reminded recently um, by a couple articles that got sent to me uh, from listeners who said, you know, oh, hey, you, you talked about this in the past. Is this, you know, is this still going on? And I'm talking about <clears throat> specifically the um the out of control spending at the federal level and the fact that here we are in uh you know this this beginning of this deep inflationary cycle which some are asking is this recession or is this depression is this the beginning of a recession or is it the beginning of a depression and others are asking is this something even worse to which I have to say, um, I'm a little concerned. I, I'm just going to say that. I'm a little concerned about what we've been. I mean, every time we pass a budget, and we don't really pass budgets anymore, right? We just raise the debt ceiling and we do a reconciliation and we do this uh, continuing resolution BS that they're doing down there. But every time we do that, and of course we you know, profligate money out of thin air and, and add it to the economy, it's bringing us closer and closer to a reckoning. Um, I think it was, uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who said something about, or maybe it was Ayn Rand. I can't remember who it was, but basically said you can, you can put off and ignore things, but you can't put off and ignore the effects of the things that you put off and ignore. I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's what's going on, 
right? You can ignore things. You can ignore an override. The problem is, is that you can ignore and override things, but the effects of what you're ignoring and overriding are a lot harder to ignore and override. And the fact that we are living in a society where it seems to be A-OK for the government just to continue to print trillions of dollars worth of money and inject it into the money supply and then be shocked, shocked, I tell you, when they discover that there's inflation. Well, where did this come from? This had nothing to do with the fact that we injected a trillion dollars in liquidity into the market uh, and devalued the rest of every dollar that was out there. That has nothing to do with it, right? Um. But here's my concern. I'm not going to be able to get into this fully. Maybe we need to do a whole show on this. I don't know. But most people don't understand that the United States dollar is the world reserve currency. And what that means is it is the currency of choice for countries who want to trade amongst themselves. So you want to buy oil from Bahrain. Right, Their request when you buy a million barrels of oil for them is that you pay for it in the world reserve currency. The preferred currency is the United States dollar. As the world reserve currency, that affords some protections to the dollar. Our politicians over the course of years have exploited that protection by continuing to devalue, intentionally devalue the dollar. Now, I'm not saying that they went out to intentionally devalue the dollar, but they're intentionally inflating the money supply to be able to generate more money to spend, and that in and of itself devalues the dollar, uh, which again also hurts people that we've borrowed money from. So you borrow money from country A, and let's just say that they borrowed $100 million. We borrow $100 million, yet we inflate the money supply to the point to where the dollar is devalued by 6%. And all of a sudden, we'll pay back the $100 million, but it's really only worth $93 million because we've devalued the dollar. You understand what I'm saying? The inflationary pressure pressure has made the dollar worth actually less. So while they're getting the same number of dollars back, the purchasing power is reduced. Now, that's been going on since, well, post-World War II, 46, 47 in there. After the dollar was decided to be the world reserve currency, um, they, they, that's what's been going on. Now, here's the problem. When you devalue currencies, and we have got prime examples of this around the world. I mean, Weimar Germany is one of the most preeminent ones to talk about. Zimbabwe is another one. Venezuela is now the most current one. Where they have devalued the currency to the point to where hyperinflation takes effect. Now, the only reason that it affected them and not us is because this is the world reserve currency. Nobody wants to let go of the dollar because now of the intertwined global markets, if the dollar somehow goes, it would create tremendous financial turmoil across the globe. But eventually that balance scale is going to tip one way or the other. And if it tips off the fact that the dollar slides from being the world reserve currency. And there's already been two or three attempts, by the way, to bump the dollar off. 
There was the BRIC nations, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, where they created what they call a breadbasket currency, where they clom it all together and create a new currency backed by the four governments, and they tried to do it. There was one point that they tried to do it with euro and petrodollars, and none of those have taken, taken hold. But if there is something that happens, if for some way some other conglomerate or nation or somebody is able to convince enough people to utilize another currency as the world reserve currency, we are going to be in serious trouble. Think wheelbarrows full of money for a loaf of bread kind of serious trouble. And, I mean, I've talked about this for years, that this is a potential. I'm not always saying that it's going to be right around the corner, but that this is a potential. But over the last 10 years, I'm seeing more and more of it, especially since, you know, 2008 with the TARP bailouts and then continually since then. And now the two big bailouts, the ARP and the thing and the, the I mean, all under Trump and then under Biden and then the trillions of dollars that came from nowhere to try and pay off Americans and the center cannot hold. You cannot continue to ignore something just because you don't want to face it. Again, you can ignore and not take action against something, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring and not taking action because the consequences will still be there. And that's not even touching on some of the food situations that we've been seeing. Several major food manufacturers have, since the pandemic, have closed, come under, um, you know, federal. Uh, we see the thing with the federal uh, uh, issue of like the the baby formula, and now things like you know the the bird flu in the in the uh, poultry sections. You know, the war in Ukraine driving up the cost of grain and all these other things. The United States government still paying farmers not to farm. And now the destruction of a dozen different food manufacturers across the United States in one form or another, whether it's arson or fire or, uh, uh, you know, earthquake or government shutdown or whatever. I'm a little nervous about some of the things and some of the patterns that I'm seeing evolve here. Maybe it's something that we need to talk about a little bit more. Maybe it's something that we should be going through and talking about a little bit more. I'm just saying, I I tend to stay away from national issues, but this one is so big. It's catching my attention. And maybe we should discuss it. But that's just me. You could tell me if you want to talk about it um, and uh, give me some uh, thoughts on it. You can drop me an email. The email address is me at michaeldukeshow.com. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on those topics that I just laid out there. And we will continue this discussion. Back with more, The Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio.
If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, um, we are um, we are um, working our way through this. I want to um, I'm sorry, I'm just looking through this list. Kelly Nash just dropped a list in the chat room. Kelly, can you cite me the source on that? Uh, because I have heard of a couple of these plants, but I have not heard of your listing 65 plants that have been. And I'd like a, I mean, I'd like a list and exactly what happened to each one when they say that they're destroyed. I want to know what happened. Why is there a, is there a, you got some place that's got a listing on this. I would like to know what's going on. Okay. Um, I don't see what the heck happened there. Why am I not seeing the link on what I just Sorry, so I, I'm just I googled some of it and I'm just trying to figure it out. But I got to tell you, it is it's making me it's making me a little nervous. It's uh, it's definitely making me a little nervous to see some of these things come to light. And the more we uh, ignore it, and the more we move away from it, um, or I guess more just ignore it, is the the problem we're going to see uh, overall. It's it's. Making me a little crazy on that. But Kelly, if you can drop me a link on that, I would love to see. Uh, I'd love to see what the backstory is. Uh, uh, facturing destroyed. All right. I'm trying to find the I'm trying to find the the overall link to that. Um, all right. Uh, well, let's see. Chris Story, the man from Homer, is here to try and um, you know, uplift us after my very, very depressing rant there. He uh, joins us now this morning to talk about it. Hello, my friend. What's uh, what's going on? Good morning. Not depressing, Michael. It was influential. I- influential. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was influential. That's all it was. Not depressing at all. Not depressing at all. All right. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because I'm a little depressed now that I talked about it. So it, it is what it is. Um, what's on your mind today, sir? What are we gonna What are we gonna hit on? Uh, how to uh, How to get ahead without breaking a sweat? Okay, how to get ahead without breaking a sweat? Well, I mean, wouldn't we all like to know that at this point? We'll see. I hope so. Okay. All right. Well, I want to know. Uh, Intrigue I wa- and delight. I want to know. I want to know. Okay. How to get ahead without breaking a sweat. All right. We'll uh, we'll take a look at it. Um, any other thoughts you want to share with the listeners since we're in the break right now? Anything else you want to uh, hit on? Well, it's always a great time to come. Do you have any plans to come to Homer? or uh, You haven't been down in a while. Or are you, are you just coming down and not, not calling me? It was just fine. No, I haven't. Like you know. Else. I'll be honest, Chris. I just have not been feeling it lately. I feel like <clears throat> I have just wanted to just basically um, stick around in the house, uh, you know, mm. just doing stuff around there and hanging out. Um, 
Homer apparently has been so unbelievably busy this summer so far. I'm not. Oh, e- no, we still have, we have room for two more. I, I, just, I just don't even know if I want to deal with it. I would love to. I would love. I'm definitely coming down in August uh, for my birthday. Um, I'll be coming down there. In fact, that means I'm going to have to vote early because, oh, God. Uh, so anyway, um, I'm definitely coming down uh, for that. But other than that, um, I don't really have any plans. Maybe I'd like to come down in July. Uh, my wife said something about the peony stuff going on in July. So maybe we need to come down. She loves the peony festival. Yes. Well, see, I, I got to tell you, I don't find it. I mean, it's sort of like boiling a frog. Maybe I'm just not noticing it. I mean, it feels like it's summer and there's people here, but it doesn't feel overcrowded. Okay. I, I haven't felt that way. Well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, so how to get what we want without breaking a sweat? How to go? How to move ahead without breaking a sweat? Right. Perfect. Uh, yeah, uh, all right. Good. Let's uh, let's jump into it. Hold the line for us, my friend. Chris Story is our guest, the man from Homer. We're going to get into all that here in just a hot second. The Michael Duke Show. Like and share. Like and share. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program, our weekly visit with uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the man from Homer, Christopher Story. He's a realtor. He's a self-help guru. He's a potter. No, potter. He does pottery, not the other one. Potter. And he comes on board to uplift us every week. This week... Telling us the story of how to get ahead without breaking a sweat, which just seems too good to be true, Chris. How to get rich quick is what you should have put on the subtitle of that. No, I don't know what it is. Anyway, Chris Story joins us this morning. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? Good morning, Michael. From on top of the world, I have nothing but good to report. Nothing but good. Is it a beautiful day? It is gorgeous. Absolutely. A little little, little haze, a little fog, but uh, blue skies are ahead in our future. Good, good. All right. Well, I'm all about blue skies. Um, all right. Well, let's um, let's uh, let's get started on this. Uh, telling me how to get ahead. How do I get ahead uh, without breaking a sweat? I I inquiring minds want to know. I I love the idea of leverage. I love the idea of of using tools. In fact, um, on the cover of my book, The Backyard Millionaire, there's a golden shovel. And I remember sending uh, the artwork to my brother, and he was like, wait a minute, this looks like work. The shovel makes me think of work. I said, but it's a golden shovel. It's golden. So, yes, there's work, but it's leverage. I mean, it's the <laughs> ultimate symbol of leverage, which requires effort, but then leads to reward. But I, I think about th- there must be a way. Like, you know people that just do things, and it seems effortless. They get ahead. They accomplish they do, they become, they've got, wow, I, they don't seem to sweat. Where do they find the time? We all get the same 24 hours a day. That's it. And yet there are some people that just seem to advance and move through the water like a swimmer 
and not breaking a sweat. They just, but they don't, they're not really any different, are they? Or is it something that they're using maybe innately, or maybe they've been trained, maybe they know about this, or it's just something that comes very natural to them. And then we could learn from that. And we could, from their results, yield some sort of a code and crack the code and go, wait a minute, if they can do it, I can do it. And I think that the magic, the most maybe magical tool in the, the you know, uh, quiver of leverage could be sympathy. And that might sound counterintuitive because you know, we think of somebody who's sympathetic as like, oh, they cry with us. And well, definition of uh, sympathy actually it comes from Greek uh, word sim, meaning together, and then pathos, which is referring to emotions or feelings. So, yeah, it's definitely emotional and together. Like, I get it. I understand. I can, I can relate, not just because I could put myself in your shoes as in empathy, but I can relate because I've been there. I get it. But another way to think about sympathy is it's a way to come together and get into harmony with other people. And so when you use sympathy in this fashion, it actually is a combination of understanding. So I, I, I can see and understand and first seek to understand before I'm understood, which means you are ultimately making yourself far more attractive and able to be together with somebody else and not off-putting because you know the person that just wants to be understood. They don't really care to hear what you have to think. They don't really care about what you're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can tell you how to do this. Yeah, no, I, I've seen this done before. Let me tell you. It's like, oh, okay, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you wanted to hear how I did. No, go right ahead. You tell me. The person who seeks first to understand, then be understood, is ultimately, that's like the first of three ways of using sympathy to your own advantage and as leverage. Um, you know, this reminds me of the, uh, uh, of the old axiom about when you're talking to people that you need to, um, first of all, use your, your ears and mouth and the ratio that God gave them to you, meaning two ears and one mouth, listen twice as much as you talk. And also, uh, I was, you know, when I went through some sales training early on in my career, they were talking like, you know, don't just be hovering on the edge and barely listening to what people are saying, waiting to jump in with your little pithy comment. Actually listen to what they're saying and formulate a response based on that. Is this kind of what you're saying about, you know, kind of being empathetic and listening to people and understanding where they're coming from? Or is that kind of the same it, idea? Yeah, it's very specifically sympathetic, meaning that you are combining this idea of being together and relating because if you really listen now empathy is great because it keeps a little distance maybe you haven't ever been through what this person has been through that you're listening to or you've never been down this particular road but i could put myself in your shoes that's empathy classically but but sympathy and i think the power of sympathy is if we really do listen and we're really paying attention we know and we can come together and experience what it is we're hearing, what it is that we're witnessing. And if we want to get ahead without breaking a sweat, and we'd like to do as they've done, anybody who's further down the road or up the ladder, pick your analogy, uh, it's really important to try to find that place in your own life where you can understand, and a real understanding, not just, oh, I think I could imagine it. No, truly understanding and combining that with an emotion within yourself. I was just watching a special on Garth Brooks uh, last night. It's on, I think it's on Netflix or whatever, but it's a, it's a two part, maybe a two season special came out a few years ago. 
And this guy is one of the most sympathetic people, the most in touch with his own emotions and is able to express emotions to a billion people around the planet with that idea of understanding. He understands. And maybe he's thinking about something that's not necessarily this is what you're going through, but you, you feel that emotion coming through and it's incredibly powerful, which leads to the next way or the next step in using sympathy is agreement. Okay. Is seeking agreement. And, and so agreement is, is looking for the win, but in an enlightened way, such that you're not just looking to win, you're looking for the win, which in fact could grow the entire pie, not just looking for more pieces of the same old pie. Like agreement and using sympathy with agreement. A sympathetic agreement is understanding and looking to expand the the whole opportunity. That you're not just necessarily cornering the market on these widgets over here and trying to take it from somebody else, but actually in fact expanding what is available for everybody. And I, I always seek and have for, for many years to negotiate for a win-win, not just because, oh, I don't want confrontation, but confrontation has no place in this concept of winning because when you truly win, others do as well. You think about the invention or the advent of, of smartphones for whatever detriment that you know social media things have brought to us in our daily lives. Think about just the, that win and expanding the market. Well, Steve Jobs didn't invent the smartphone, but he sure made it ubiquitous intuitive and he made put it into a, a billion people's hands right. um and so that that's coming into an agreement and then expanding the ocean not just fighting for your piece of it but making it bigger that's truly using sympathy in agreement well and again going back to the whole sales aspect of it um as you said you try to negotiate so that both sides win um nothing worse than going in and selling something uh, you know i'm a I'm a pretty good salesman, and uh, there have been times when I sure I could have gone in there and just sold them on it and raked, you know, raked in the the the, the loot or whatever, and been like, "Aha! I got you know, I got one." But the bottom line is, is first of all, that's very short term thinking, because if you want to, you know, continue to go back and work with people and do it over and over again, you could never give them something where they later on come back and go, "I feel like I got screwed on that. I feel like I got rooked." Uh, buyer's yeah. remorse, so to speak. You want to you you want to have these lifelong interactions with people, and so everybody yeah. has to win in those. It has to be their you know the reciprocal type of relationships. Everybody's got to have something that they come away feeling good about. And sympathetic agreement. To your point, sympathetic agreement is not just getting the win, but it's actually influence and creating a place where you can, whereby you can have influence, not just being influenced by others or society, but you can take your place and have influence when you become sympathetically in agreement with more than just yourself. And this is, again, getting ahead without breaking a sweat. And none of this is necessarily easy in practice today, but once you begin the practice, it gets easier and easier to, to look for understanding, seek understanding, then to be understood, to get into a sympathetic agreement with, with the people around you, uh, and even yourself or the people around you, people at work, the people who work for you, people in your life, uh, and having that, that influence. And that's about the only place you can come with influences. If you, look, I, if you get me, you understand me, okay, I'm going to listen. You're going to have a lot more. You're going to have an open channel to me if we're in that sort of sympathetic agreement. And then thirdly and lastly would be to use emotional acceptance. So the, the, the third component of being a sympathetic influencer 
is to get in touch with emotional acceptance. It isn't just accepting, um, in part, it's accepting somebody else for who they are, but also understanding that this is where they come from. Same applies to yourself. Like, if you've not accepted you as you are, you're not going to have much luck in becoming anyone new or something new. So emotional acceptance is learning to accept yourself or somebody else for who they are, and then you're open for the influencer. They are open to be influenced if you've accepted them. Doesn't mean you approve it. Doesn't mean it's from a moralistic standpoint. You must agree with it, but you understand and accept, oh, this is how you are. I understand. And coming to terms with that with yourself as well. Otherwise, you have this internal struggle, which leads to defeatism and negativism and becoming a pessimist. No, accept. This is who I am. I get it. Now, it doesn't mean I have to stay here, but accepting it becomes actually equivalent to awareness, self-awareness, and that leads to the ability to do something new or become somebody new in your life. As we're wont to do in this program, um, sometimes I ask for a practical application. Can you give me an example in your own life where you've put this into practice and it's worked out? We've got about three minutes here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, sometimes it's more than just bullet points. You know, what what do these bullet points actually mean? We need to put it in practical application, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it comes, let's just say, accepting yourself um, for who you are. Let's just start there. And understanding that, getting into agreement, a sympathetic agreement with who you are. For example, I told you this before, but I became a runner about three and a half years ago now and used what I heretofore considered a negative in my life, which might be considered some sort of a a compulsive obsessiveness. And I used (laughs) it as a leverage towards becoming a runner. So I thought to myself, you know, if I run this many miles a day obsessively, and if I use this obsessive, obsessive compulsiveness in that way, I'm actually leveraging something that could have been a negative when I've got my head in the refrigerator at 1130 at night. And that same compulsiveness around food and that, that sort of whatever emotional connection I was getting from it and use it in this room over here with the treadmill, then I could use that to my advantage and get ahead without breaking a sweat and have people say, Hmm, you look different. What's going on? Oh, I'm using my obsessive compulsiveness to my own advantage. So it's understanding and then to be understood. So I understood, tried to more, you know, understand where I was coming from, got into a sympathetic agreement. Look, this, this is, this is going to be a win. I'm going to expand the, the pie of my life, the blue ocean of my own life by getting into this state of mind. And then it just, but first of all, and maybe most importantly, accepting this is who I am. I'm going to be obsessive compulsive, whether it be about writing. I got to write every day. Once I get on a string, I can't stop. But once I get running, I can't stop. I got to keep moving with this and just accepting that's who right. I am and right. being in sympathy with myself. And it's created uh, three and a half years of a very diligent routine, which I'd never really stuck with any sort of a, uh, exercise regimen prior to that, dabbled here and there and done different things. So what you're uh, s- created black belt in Jeet Kune Do. I'm kidding. I didn't yeah. get that. So, so, so what you're saying is you actually did break a sweat with your movement, but you don't. Not have- anymore, man. I used to, used to, <laughs> to ring my T-shirt out, but uh, I guess I have to run faster now. Uh, it's interesting, too, that the first story you told was not a story of actually interacting with others, but actually interacting and understanding yourself. Which I find telling uh, in this situation because, again, it all starts with us. We have mm-hmm. to find the reason. We have to do that self-evaluation. We have to look at and understand and be sympathetic with our own positions as well. So it's interesting. Um, I love it. Uh, and that's why we bring you on every morning 
on Tuesdays. Uh, uh, Chris Story, thank you, my friend. Uh, where can we find your books? I love homeralaska.com. You can start your search there or connect with me. Wonderful books. Oh, I just got a huge compliment, Michael, about the uh, the Backyard Millionaire. Somebody just emailed me the other day and said, you know, um, they loved your reading of it and wanted to know what other books you have read as a narrator. Because, you know, people sometimes, they follow narrators more than they do authors. So your Audible version is very, very popular. Thank you. Well, good. I appreciate that. I've done a couple Westerns. You can send them that way if they really want to find out more. Um, all right, Chris Story. Thank you so much, my friend. I love Homer, Alaska.com. Uh, backyard millionaire, born to live, uh, 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 the making of a man. I mean, everything else. It's all good stuff. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks, we're out of time for this segment. We got one more coming up. I'm gonna go ahead and open up the phones. I don't know why I, but I'm just. Let's talk. Let's just chat about whatever. How about that? The Michael Duke Show. How about that? Uh, We're going to be back with more right after this. We're broadcasting live through our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Cash me outside. How about that? All right. We're finishing up uh, Chris Story. Um, everybody else is talking about Garth Brooks, Sam Elliott, and everybody else. Uh, do you guys forget that these people are performers in Hollywood and it's not surprising that they will kowtow to the, at the feet of the president, whoever it, I mean, you know, this is not surprising to me. Why, why, why are you surprised? I guess is my question. Kelly says she couldn't find the sourcing for that. She says it's a collaboration, all the lists of the different places that had. So I've copied and pasted it into a document, and I'll see if I can find the backing on all these things uh, because I find them severely interesting. Kelly's list says 65 different food facilities destroyed since March of 21. Uh, So I want to know what that's about. I want to know what that's about. I mean, anybody can say anything on the internet. I just want to figure out if it's true. Which is harder than you might think sometimes. Trying to get that information out is, uh, is uh, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to, to try and separate fact from fiction on the interwebs. Uh, dividing ourselves into two teams is not a good thing, says Sean. I couldn't agree more, Sean. I think that that's right out of the playbook, right? Divide and conquer. It's not just us dividing ourselves. There are powers and machinations that seem to be doing that to us on purpose. I mean, the news media is just one of the outlets who does that. So, yeah. Um, what? Uh, 70 plus years of inane and unsustainable monetary policy has created a situation where we are slaves in the plantation that we own. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong there. Um, what throws me is Palmer two convicted years. Two convict. What was this? Um, throws me is Palmer two con- con- convicted years ago and still have not been sentenced. That's outrageous. Then when they do sentence them, they will get good time. Time served. Well, I mean, 
I guess, Sandy, I am a little outraged that people were convicted two years ago and still have not been sentenced. I find that outrageous. Uh, but I don't find it outrageous that when they do get sentenced, they will have time served. Good t- I mean, because they've been serving the time. That I don't find that horrific. I do find it horrific or outrageous that they were convicted two years ago and still have not been sentenced, if that's the case. But I would not find it outrageous. I mean, what, do you want to wait? You want them to wait two or three years in jail and then get sentenced and have to serve the full time since they've already served two or three years in jail waiting for the sentence? That, I mean, that's just, that's not right. I mean, right? We can agree on that. Makes no sense. Sean says, yes, the separation of the division is totally intentional, but people love to play into it as well. Yeah, people feel, you know, a lot of time people feel righteous about that kind of stuff. Righteous indignation. Righteous indignation. Has Nick Baggage ever met Obama or Biden? Um, I don't know. He worked in Young's office at one point, so he may have. Does that mean that anyone who has ever met Obama or Biden is now tainted? I mean, Trump has met both of them. He's had dinner with both of them. He's broken bread with both of them. Does that mean that he's now tainted? Yep, says Brian, it's long past. We recognize that both camps have contributed to the current state of affairs. Again, it's the left wing and the right wing. It's the Republicans. and the, They're the two wings of the same bird, the same loony loon. I mean, it's just... I mean, this is, uh, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter what, what animal they wear on their lapel. There are very few in government that work, especially in elected uh, officials that I would go, well, there's a good one. Uh, Sarah Palin smoked the libs and rhinos by 30%. Well, I yeah, I mean, she got 30% of the vote. She's only uh, she's only nine percentage or 10 percentage points ahead of Nick Baggage. But I mean, so, yeah, I, I guess. Yay. Um, it's great. Like I said, I don't care if Sarah Palin or Nick, either one of them would be fine with me. I'd rather see Chris by, but that didn't happen. So, OK, I got my vote out. That's all that mattered. Um, I'm just looking through some of the comments here. As America people funded corporate welfare, usually under the assumption that we will be creating jobs, trickle down. Yeah, it's a problem. All right. I let's, uh, oh, you know, I suppose I should turn the phone lines on. Oh, Dukes, you moron. All right, here we go. We're going to jump into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right, you ready to continue? Um, we had one final segment here of the program, and uh, I uh, 
said uh, everybody could call in if they wanted to, and then I realized that I had the phone systems uh, shut down. So I uh, just booted up the phone systems. Uh, so if you would like to uh, to take part in that, you can feel free to do so. Number to call is 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Uh, and you could sound off on any of the things that we talked about this morning, uh, including the whole including the whole national debt, uh, everything. It's all, it's all there. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Um, we now have the phone systems are now active and ready to go. And again, 907-433-3150. Powered by our friends at Satellite West. You can find out more about them at SatelliteWest.com. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, where were we? Uh, I guess we were talking about, um, well, we were talking about all kinds of stuff, but, uh, the bottom line is here is, uh, is this, I'm reminded of a, I'm reminded of a button that somebody gave me one time, uh, the old hillbilly from Fairbanks. He gave me a button, uh, that I had hanging in my office for a long time. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, uh, I used to look at it occasionally and chuckle because the button said, they're all in it together and they're doing it on purpose. Now, that may seem like um, a little paranoid. And there were times when I thought, yeah, that is a little paranoid. But then there are other times where I like, man, is this is this the whole thing? Is this, this whole thing just in process? Is this whole thing just intentional? Sean in the chat room says, dividing ourselves into two teams is not a good thing. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's the problem is that we continue, you know, it's the old adage of divide and conquer. Oh, those progressive Antifa, whatever, bro. And on the other side, oh, those right wing fascists and the capitalists and the, and you know what? And in the middle is the news media feeding into the frenzy. And we're sucking it up and just loving it. And, uh, and it is, it's intentional. It's intentional, but there are even people who, once they're in that cycle, they, they live in that. So they love it there. Again, this is why I decided a long time ago to just close my show every day with be kind to one another, love one another, live well. I mean, that's the best revenge of all those things is this, just be kind to one another and love one another. I'm not talking about, you know, turn the other cheek on the guy who's trying to break into your house and, and steal your stuff. But at some point when you're in your daily interactions, you just, you can't just be all the time. This two party system is only going forward because is only able to continue because we keep dividing ourselves without a, without any other kind of, well, this is the only two things we can do. We can only be divided into these two camps. Anything else is insanity. Um, not really, but keep telling yourself that, and I guess it will be true, as Chris has pointed out many times. Um, let's uh, let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say here. Um, let's go and uh, and and take your calls. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Good morning, Randy. Yeah, I know you're not the Dave Ramsey show. Have you ever listened to the Dave Ramsey show about finances and sure. so forth? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I just wanted to say on your show, 
I'm debt free. I just wanted, okay. wanted to announce. Congratulations! That, uh, yesterday, I, I finally paid off my credit card debt. I've been in in quicksand credit card debt for uh, ten years, and uh, anyway, I finally paid it off last night. I made a twenty-seven hundred dollar payment to the last credit card, and uh, uh, so I feel pretty good about that. So I thought I'd announce that on your show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, yesterday I saw the first. Uh, longhorned beetle flying around, uh, uh-huh. which is also known as the white spotted sawyer, which okay. happens to be my favorite insect. And I'm curious, down in your neck of the woods, have you seen any of the uh, longhorned beetles? You know, those are the scary looking, big black, j- what we call Japanese uh, beetles with the big long antennas that stick to everything. Yeah. Yeah, they they they, mean- they fly around in a meandering fashion and they kind of land on people because they think people are trees. Right. No, I haven't seen, you know, since we moved down here, I've never seen one of those. We used to get them at the house quite often uh, back home. Um, uh, You know, they were my favorite ones as a kid to pick up and throw at people because people freak out about it. But uh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I haven't, I don't know if they're down here. They may not, you know, maybe they just don't make it this far south. I have no idea. But, you know, I've not seen any of those since I've been down here. Oh, I'll be darned. So. There you yeah, go. Um, uh, I just want to let people know those are not spruce beetles. They're not the ones that are uh, that destroy a bunch of live trees. Mm-hmm. They don't do go after dead trees or dying trees, you know. But they're they right. are good insects, I feel, and uh, they're very. Char- I find them charming, actually. Of course, everybody likes butterflies, but do you have a favorite insect? You know, I, I have to say that. Um, yeah, I've never really thought of it. I would say if you had me make me pick one, I would have to say a dragonflies. I like dragonflies. Um, because yeah. they're just, they're just, they're just badass. Dra- dragonflies can pull like nine G's and turns and, uh, and they are one of the most fearsome, you know, they, they kill like 95% of the prey that they go after. They've got like a 95% success rate and they eat a lot of other bugs. So I'm all about that. I love the dragonfly for that reason. Yeah, I like them too. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right. Well, thank you, Randy. For the most random call of the day award goes to Randy today. But it's good. I'd say I, I love it. Um, those beetles terrify the dog snot out of me. We have them down this way, says Catherine. Yeah, I mean they like I said, I used to uh I used to to take them and throw them. Anyway, that you know, they are creepy. They are cre- and they got major pincers. You're always like, oh, those things are gonna bite me. Um uh, anyway, uh, somebody just said there was another food manufacturing company that burned down yesterday in Wisconsin. The list is growing. I don't know. I'm going to, I got the whole list. Somebody posted a list in the chat room of all the food facilities that have been destroyed or damaged in the last year. And, uh, I guess now I got to go out and hunt them all down to figure it out, to make sure that it's legit. But you know, when you hear enough about those stuff, even if half the numbers on those that list was correct, it's a little spooky when you think about it. Maybe we do need to do another show on Maybe we do need to do a what if Wednesday. What if this happens? Um, uh, they get, you know, but they're a little spooky sometimes. So that's okay. This Wednesday, coming up tomorrow, uh, Eskimo Libertarian and uh, Timothy Gibbons will be joining us. Um, I will give you uh, more information for Thursday. Thursday is going to be, I believe, Mike Shower and uh, fingers crossed Sarah Palin. If not, then maybe another one. And on Friday, Robbie Sove. From Reason Magazine, we're working on that right now. Um, I just took, a, I just got a phone call logging onto the phones right now, but we are literally 
20 seconds from having to vacate the airwaves. So we're going to uh, do that. And uh, we're going to call it a day. We'll take this caller off the air. Back with more tomorrow, The Michael Duke Show. Be kind to one another, love one another, live well, all that jazz. Back with more then, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll see you, my friends. Have a great day. All right, let's take this last caller because they're on the air and they, well, no, they hung up. Okay, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I got stuff to do, things to do, people to see. People to do, things to see. All right, uh, that's it for me today, folks. I, uh, I'm done. If you post about the destruction of food manufacturers on Facebook, the fact checkers will nail you to the wall. Well, I guess if it's false, that's one thing. If it's not, that's another. But like I said, I've got the list now. I will go out and try and search out the original source material. I'll do I'm going to do my best on that. See if we can see if we can pull out the original source material on some of this stuff. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on board. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. That's it. I mean, I'm done. I've got to go. See ya.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.